Hey everyone, welcome to my show, my so-called fabulous. Welcome everyone. You are watching us on YouTube and listening us at the platform of your choice, our podcast. And I am here today to introduce you someone I've been friends with for about 28 years. I think we just did a little math and um, a fascinating human. I fell in love with her years ago. And before I even knew what a podcast was, actually, they didn't have podcasts, but we were probably doing radio, just radio and TV at the time, but fell in love with her, Charlotte Potsky. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tiffany. And I'm Love you, too. Oh, thank you so much. You were such a different human being. So warm and loving and gracious. Best hostess I ever met. Oh, my gosh, y'all. Oh, my goodness. Okay, keep talking. Keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) We met so many years ago. Um, You all have met on the show, and I've talked about often my best friend in the world, Meg Plotsky. Um, We have been friends for about 28, 29 years, and um, I had the joy of meeting you at Jake's Briss, right? Correct. (laughs) And it was eye-opening for me, and uh, your brother had recently passed, so that was a difficult trip for you, I'm sure, right? Very. Very very. much so. So let me tell you about this woman. She is a Renaissance woman, for sure. She is an author of two three now books. I have two of her books. She just gave me the third one. Um, She is a survivor of the Holocaust. She was over in Belgium when the horrific details happens, and we are going to share some of those with you. So if you are listening with children, it is your decision whether you keep this on with children or just put your earbuds in. But let me tell you her, um, her three books. The first one was a memoir just for her family in 2019, Then and Again. And then the one I love and so fascinated with is Darkness and Light. And you're going to be able to get these. You'll see these at the end of the show notes if you'd like to purchase one of her books. But Darkness and Light. And then, Charlotte, I almost want to say this looks like a cookbook. But this is the third one, A Guide to Eating Smart. So this we all need for sure. And there's great recipes of yours in there, I'm sure. Right? It's just a little bit of it. Just a little bit. So much smart foods and smart amounts. I love that. So let's dive in. And I'm going to share everyone a statistic from September of 2020, which is in Charlotte's book. 63% of millennials did not know that 6 million Jews were murdered in the Holocaust. More than 10% never heard the words the Holocaust, and 50% could not name a single concentration camp of the 40,000 that existed. When I read that, actually, Kennedy read that, and um, it, it, it brings tears to my eyes. I just can't, rem- I can't believe the world, the hate. And how how we even got here. But let's back up. You in World War II, which was 1939 to 1945, you were three years old when the bombings began in Belgium, correct? Because you're from Belgium. So walk us through that, Charlotte. All right. Well, it was the morning of May 10th, 1940. And uh, early in the morning... Uh, the bomb, bombers started coming and uh, dropping bombs all over Belgium and, and also Holland. Um, and there was panic in the streets. It was not expected because Belgium was a neutral country. 
And this is the second time, even though Belgium was neutral, that the Germans had invaded because they did that in World War I as well. So people were really astounded and panicked. Uh, and there was a terrible stampede to try and get out of the cities they were in. We were in Antwerp, Belgium. And finally, after hiding in the basement and my father running to the train station, trying to get tickets to get out, he was able to succeed. And we were headed south um, where we thought we would be safer, not knowing at the time, because communications had been cut off, that uh, France was going to be invaded as well. And there was a stampede out of Paris and uh, all of northern France uh, of some 800,000 people taking to the roads with wheelbarrows and things piled high, etc. So there we are heading, heading towards Mons, which was a city in the south of France, uh, south of Belgium, excuse me. And uh, the trains, even the Red Cross trains were bombed. And I remember, I was only three years old, but I remember the bombs, and I remember every so often the trains, which were crawling, uh, had to stop, and all the passengers had to get out and take cover in the fields. And this is so traumatic for a young child, oh, you know. Um, imagine uh, children really, uh, in a way, bear the brunt of war, uh, with great difficulty and have uh, traumatic uh, after, after effects for a long, long time. You know, most children grow up with security and happy times and childhood fun. And when war comes and children are involved in war and people are killed in front of their eyes and wounded, and they're screaming and carrying on, and the parents are panicked and, and anxious and tense, and you're running and taking cover. I mean, it's like another universe mm -hmm. you've lived in, you know? Right. And so you feel the after effects for a long time. But we finally, I mean, it's, it's a story that um, is amazing, and uh, I tried to cover it in my Then and Again book. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's it's so convoluted. But um, we finally, after many other uh, events that took place, uh, made it to the south of France, and always at the risk of our life, because once the Germans occupied Belgium and France, they closed the borders, and you risked your life crossing. And so our first crossing, um, when we finally had to go back, and by the way, uh, if you recall from reading the book, we got caught up in the Battle of Dunkirk. Yes. yes. I mean, after months, we, we headed north. My parents were separated. We, we got together again by some miracle in, along the northern coast of Belgium. And, um, and then the Germans came. Mm -mm. And we were huddled in a cellar for uh, 24 hours of a bombardment that was unbelievable, didn't stop. And my mother tried to cover my ears with a pillow. I still remember all mm -hmm. of this. And um, the next morning, when it was clear and we went out, the town was leveled. 
level. There was nothing left of the little town we were in, Japan, which was only 10 miles from Dunkirk. But the, the armies were spread out all along the beaches, including Japan. Wow. So anyway, the Germans sent us home, and we lived under the occupation for six to eight months with all these laws coming out, restrictive laws mm. coming out that we had to, read, all Jews had to register, businesses had to be registered, um, the profession, Jewish professionals could no longer practice, etc. All the things that they started doing in Germany, they started doing in these occupied countries of the Belgium. lowland countries. And so then we plotted, you know, to escape. And again, we risked our lives trying to cross the border between Belgium and France. Uh, we ended up in Paris without ration coupons. Quite a story anyway. Then, then we, um, again, had to make our way to Angoulême, which was part of the a line, the demarcation line that existed between occupied France and unoccupied France. Because at that point, there were, there was a free France and a regular France. It was not till 1943 that the Germans decided that they would also invade free France free or France. unoccupied France. Let me stop you here. How were you identified as a, a, in this country? How you had to register how were you identified? Did you have to wear a badge? Were you, I mean. You mean in Belgium? Yes. You had to register. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't register, they didn't know you were Jewish because later on they took the lists mm -hmm. to go round up the Jews to send them to the concentration camps. Right. And that happened in 1942. Luckily, we were out out already oh my gosh but it didn't mean that as i said you know there were all these like checkpoints along the way where we were making our escape where we could have been picked up and killed or sent off at any time because the camps already existed already existed yeah not the killing camps yet mm -hmm. the but, working camps. but the concentration camps mm -hmm. already existed mm -hmm. in the 30s gosh. in germany mm -mm. so uh i mean after kristallnacht in germany they they took thousands of men and put them in Dachau. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and that was not far from Munich. Mm -mm. So you you all got out of Belgium, went to France. Yes, okay. southern France. We finally again we crossed that line in Angoulême. Again, if we had been picked up, we would have been. Who knows what would have happened to us? But we blessedly got out. And there's a wonderful story about our reuniting with some of the so-called passeurs, the, the volunteers that got people across the line uh, later on. Um, uh, so we got out and we lived in, in the mountains, in the rural area of southern France. And we worked on trying to, you know, uh, get out, get papers to get out. And uh, out of France, out of France. Oh, my gosh. And, and your family had a store in Belgium. Is that correct? Yes. OK, obviously that went away and you your mother sold her diamond for two hundred and fifty dollars, which back then was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. Then, and so then. that helped you get out. Is that? Oh, yeah, because most of their capital was tied up in the store. And so they didn't have that much, you know, 
free free cash right. to be and everything had to be bribed mm-hmm. no matter what you did i mean that was the only way you could mm-hmm. people that didn't have the means did right. not survive did unfortunately. not survive i no. mean and so by train you get out i mean walking everything because there was no car- rental cars we walked <sighs> we walked from mons to the coast i mean my father bicycled at one point when we got separated, mm-hmm. and he was bicycling all around trying to find us. Oh, my gosh. And it was you, your mom, your my dad, bro- and your brother. And my brother, who was seven years older than I. Seven years older yeah. than you. Oh, my gosh. And we, we lived in the south of France, as I said, till we got the papers mm-hmm. uh, to come here. We got some help and a sponsorship from my father's brother, who had come here to the States a long time ago. But... We only got. We only were able to get papers to go to Cuba. Wow. We we were not able to get papers to come to the United States until we worked on them in Cuba. We lived in Cuba for a year, mm-hmm. and they were the only embassy. Uh, they actually were handled by by the Spanish people, but the Cuban passports. But they were the only embassy that was able to give us visas and only after my mother who was a wonderful brave daring woman mm. and i'm wearing her shawl yes look at her shawl everyone on youtube mom around her she, she loving was, arms around me all the time and i when when she walked in why my producer and i she asked us uh, what to wear and i mean what history you have around your shoulders right now i mean yeah. that's amazing so anyway she she set up such a hue and cry that they gave her the papers so that she could go to Cuba. But then from Marseille, France, which is where this happened, we uh, we had to cross the Pyrenees Mountains Mm-mm. across Spain to get to uh, the port of Bilbao, where, where we were finally able to get one of the last ships out of continental Europe to Cuba, to Havana, Cuba. And Mm-mm. then we lived in Havana, Cuba a year. A year. A year. Were people kind to you in these countries that you were going to that you fled Belgium, France, Cuba. Well, you were in Spain and there so Spain and then Cuba. How were people uh what was the climate of how people treated you and your family? Everybody desperate? Um, yes. Everyone was desperate. Oh, it was terrible. I mean the the Germans you have to understand the Nazis, I want to say. Yes. That's the current Germans. Uh, the Nazis stripped all these occupied countries of, ev- of their food, of their fuel, of everything. Mm-hmm. There was no gasoline. There was, there was, they, th- there was food rationing, mm-hmm. uh, long lines, you know, to get just a few calories. I mean, my mother herself lost 30 pounds. Mm-hmm. Of course. Before in that, in that year, mm-hmm. year and a half right. that we were stuck there. Everybody was desperate. I mean, to show you how desperate things were, okay, um, when, when we were in a, one of the cities that we, we went through uh, to get out during, during the, the first flight, my, we had nothing to eat. So a call went out that uh, a bakery had just baked some bread. So everybody ran to stand online, okay? And my father said, I have to go. We have to feed the children, mm-hmm. you know? And he went to stand online, and they were strafing. Oh. And people didn't want to give up their places in line. Right, right. I mean, we saw people strafed in front of us. Mm-mm. 
That's why I'm saying you have no idea. Children seeing all this destruction of property and human beings, Mm -hmm. including other children. Right. Right. It's so traumatizing. So traumatizing. I know. I mean, it's it's. It's amazing to me that you're sitting here with me today. I mean, do you at oftentimes just think, how in the heck did I get out of there? I feel so blessed. You know, in my book, um, Darkness and Light, um, I wrote a poem. I do write some poetry as well. Um, I wrote a poem called Diane New, which means it, it would have been enough. That's what it means. And uh, I went through the litany in this poem, which took two pages of everything that we went through and survived. And for each thing that happened, I said, Dianu. And any of those would have been a blessing. Mm -hmm. And so I end up thanking God because I feel our lives have been a blessing. And that's what's led me to do Holocaust education like this book, Darkness and Light. And I've, I, that's, that's what I've dedicated my life to the past 10 mm-hmm. years or so, is right. doing speeches and workshops and seminars and talks with children, with adults, and so on. And I do it as a volunteer. Right, right. And I know you live in West Palm Beach Gardens in Florida. Uh, we get to see you on occasion. But... I'm going to take you back to Cuba quickly and how you got to America because you did arrive in America and you're here today. But how difficult was it in that year at Cuba to get out of Cuba? Um, Well, it was a matter of waiting. Um, Our family was one of about 5,000 Belgian Jews that had made it to Havana, Cuba. Uh, And everybody was trying to get papers to come. And of course, you needed... You needed a sponsorship. You needed to be able to show the United States government that if they let you in, you would not um, be a burden on the state. And so you had to prove that someone would be responsible for you financially and medically and in every way. All right. Luckily, my father had a brother that had come to the United States in 1928, had established himself and so on. And so he had worked to sponsor our family, and it just took time. Took time. I mean, the go- American government was very reluctant to, to take refugees, uh, a subject I could spend hours on and won't today. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad history, mm-hmm. what America did and didn't do for refugees. And I'm sure many of you have probably heard the story of the St. Louis uh, ship that was turned away with 800 refugees Mm-mm. oh my gosh it's amazing i mean it's just it's troubling i mean it's just that's all you can say for sure i'm going to take you to what you said earlier dedicating your life to holocaust education in 1987 you took a trip with norman your husband over to to back to belgium you've had many trips you've had five trips over there i believe you four, four four to belgium and one to cuba one to cuba so this trip you were uh, advised by your travel agent to go to this camp and fort braindock am i saying that correctly? right and i had no idea now imagine i i was born in belgium and I had family still there, first cousins and so on. And I, I had no idea that there had been 
an SS concentration camp right between Brussels and Antwerp. Had no idea. And she, my travel agent friend, suggested that we visit it, which we did. It was a real eye-opener because mm. it was truly an SS Nazi concentration camp. And, and SS died. means? Well, that stands for, I can't pronounce the German okay. words. <laughs> right, okay. Story, you know. Right, right. But it was the concentration camp. And oh, yes. Your depiction of that. A Nazi one. I mean, there were, there, were con- there were concentration camps run by the French as well, but not the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Not that they were any, you know, any better mm-hmm. in some respects, but but if it was an SS Nazi concentration camp, I mean, forget it. It was awful. Your life was basically over. And they, uh, the depiction of this camp was exactly as it was left, right? Yes, it's the only camp. At least it was at the time that mm-hmm. we went. Mm-hmm. It's the only camp that was left exactly the way it was when it was liberated, mm-hmm. to the pants mm-hmm. thrown over, you know, one of the one of the walls. Mm-hmm. And uh, men and women at this camp. Yes, men and women. Yes, children. Well, when they rounded them up. To send them off to Auschwitz, they were children, too, in the assembly part of the camp. SS, it was Mechelen, was the assembly point. Char, my audience is, I have a younger uh, audience, and, um, and I, have a, I have my age and your age as well. Um, can you explain, going to Auschwitz, what that meant? Was that the end? For most, what happened was, if you were sent to Auschwitz, which my uncle was, um, and also my uh, the my first cousin's aunt was, and she was only nineteen years old when oh, she dear. was sent. She was a nurse. My uncle was in his thirties. Um, what probably happened was this. We know the dates because we were able to get the printouts at one of our trips, and I have it in my book, of when they were sent, their age, their name, the convoy they were sent on, what their profession was, because they weren't sent together. Uh, My uncle was taken into labor, so that's what happened to him. He didn't go right to the gas chambers. We know that he was taken into labor. And uh, he died there. He died as a, as a consequence of his uh, tribute, you know, tribulation, mm-hmm. uh, tribulations there. My cousin went to the gas chambers. Mm-hmm. She was not taken in. So there was a selection process when people arrived. After sometimes days in these convoys, mm-hmm. boxcars mm-hmm. that would hold... 20 horses might hold 100 people, men, women, and children. And there were no bathrooms, of course. There was no food. There was no water. There was hardly any ventilation. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes the train stopped for a day or more. It's sometimes it might take three or four days for a train to make it. So when they got to Auschwitz, I mean, and then, and then they were, they were uh, told to leave leave the cars and they the men were told to line up in one line and the women in another and um you could tell also um 
depending on whether you were told to go to the right or the left, what might happen? Mm. Uh, because why would the elderly and women with small children be pulled aside and the strong ones, the young ones, be pulled to another side? I mean, you had to guess they weren't going to take them to the hospital mm -mm. after this horrendous three days, mm -mm. right? And, and then women and young women primarily and young strong men would be selected for labor in the camp, mm -hmm. Birkenau. Mm -mm. And, uh, and the rest were taken immediately to so-called showers, which turned out to be gas mm -hmm. showers. So that's what happened. And um, I can't tell you what happened from my point of view, because luckily and blessedly, mm -hmm. my family was not sent to Auschwitz. But had we stayed in Belgium another year, we would have been rounded up with the almost 27,000 men, women, and children of Belgium that were sent there. And so few survived. Just so a few. few just just a few hundred survived mm -mm, mm -mm. and were, was able to come back. You know, um, I, I, I love this education that you're doing and giving because I'm 57 years old and um, went to TCU and I grew up Catholic. Um, the first true education about religions, there's so many, um, was at TCU, and we I had a professor that just taught us so much, and I was fascinated with Jewish the re Jewish religion, the Jewish culture, and I spent hours in the Jewish Center in Dallas just soaking it in, and I had this guilt. I mean, I you know I mean just just like just this icky feeling, but it's guilt. Yeah, you know, I mean it was like this just felt horrible. What can I do? And now I'm friends with you and I can share the word and you are dedicated your life and one of your four careers as an, a Holocaust educator. I mean, you have to be so proud of what you've done. Three books. Well, it, it, it's I wouldn't call it proud. I would call it a necessity for me. Okay. I love that. That's absolutely necessary for sure. And, and sharing with your family as well. You know, that, that's so important and to share so much what, what, as I said in the beginning, people that just don't know. I mean, of course, at, at all. Um, your four careers, you are in the arts. That yes. makes you smile. I can tell you're you. You've been an actress, a director, a drama coach, um, in three different states: in Illinois, Missouri, and Florida. You are an excellent writer. I've read your books, and I was blessed to get your books from you during COVID. So that occupied a lot of my time, and I, of course, forgot it and went back and revisited. Um, publisher writing, amazing, and serving on boards and retired. I mean, just such you, you said it to my producer and I when you walked in, I've had four careers in all of these years. And and it's just you're just keep going strong. I mean, Shar, you just keep going. So you're not finished. No, I'm not finished, but I'm I'm slowing down. Are you? Yeah. I asked I'm you how you were down. doing the other day. What did you say? Pardon me? I said, how are you doing? And you said, I'm good. I'm good. Good enough. <laughs> I said, I'm good enough. 
That's my standard end. I love that Pretty so enough. much. I love that so much. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Um, do you have PTSD at all? Are you I triggered? did for a long time. I did. I had terrible nightmares. Terrible nightmares. Uh, I wrote a poem one day. I, re- I remember that I wrote a poem. I woke up in the middle of the night. I'd had a nightmare and I woke up. And I went downstairs and I wrote this poem and it bothered me. It bothered me for such a long time that because I didn't understand where it came from. So I had a psychologist friend uh, take me back to that time, mm-hmm. a hypnotist. And, um, and it was based on a true event that happened to me. Um, when, we, when we were in Japan, the morning after... Uh, the Germans arrived, and it was an occupation. Uh, we went down to the beach because the English soldiers had left a lot of stuff on the beach, tins of food and so on. And so my brother and my father went down to collect them because we didn't know what the food situation was going to be. And uh, I went with my mother to the beach, and we were looking at all these destroyed vehicles and so on. And... Uh, a soldier reached out and grabbed my dress. And I looked down. And as I looked down, he died in front of my eyes. What? So he must have been, you know, they must have thought he was dead and they hadn't gotten his body yet. Mm-mm. But he, he, on his last gasp, Mm-mm. he reached out. And I never forgot that. Can you imagine? Three years old and it comes out. When I'm in my 50s in mm. a dream and I wrote a poem about it. Suppressed. Suppressed. Yeah, yeah which, which I put in yeah. there. But um, I'm much better now. I've, um, one of the things that I say is that I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to understand my historical self. So that's, you know, all the trips we made, etc. I've spent a lot of time trying to understand... Um, my mental self and emotional self. And so I've spent a lot of time with therapists um, and that's really helped me. And uh, I recommend it to anybody in the audience. There's nothing wrong with thinking that you might have a problem that you might need some help with that you can't solve on your own. So don't let it hold you back. And then I've spent a lot of time uh, developing my physical self. And that's when I came up with this book, uh, A Guide to Eating Smart. And it, it has a tremendous amount of research that I've done. It's one of my strengths is doing research. And um, on what the smartest foods are right. that you can spend your nutrition dollar on. And the amounts that you should be, you know, when's the best time to, t- to eat them? And when is, when is how much? And a lot more. There's a dictionary in there and all kinds of things. And I've really gotten a lot of kudos about that book. So, and the fourth thing that I've worked very hard on developing is my spiritual sense. And as my daughter asked me this the other day, Melissa, she said, Mom, have you, have you gotten more religion, religious as time has gone by? And I said, oh, yes. 
I really tried to develop my spiritual self. Mm -hmm. So um, those are the four areas that I've worked on. Well, you know what? I think it's talking, you mentioned Melissa and your children, Melissa and Rich. I think it's so important to ask questions. My mother's deceased many, many years, and I didn't ask enough questions. And I love that she's asking questions because it's necessary for sure. So, so I do have a final question for you. How can we all help this, this world? You said for centuries the hate has been going on. How can we, what can we do other than listen to this podcast, read your books, support do you can you share with the audience yeah i i I think that's such an important question tiffany and i'm glad that you're asking it uh it's something i've thought about and something by the way that i've reflected in this title Mm -hmm. darkness and light um we've we've got to look for the light but not only look for the light we have to be the light Mm -hmm. which is something amanda gorbin said Mm -hmm at the inauguration. We really do. Um, We have to be more hopeful, which is something that my rabbi has really stressed in in recent sermons at our high holidays. We have to have hope, but more than hope, I feel, we have to look around and see who are the active people that are trying to do something about the hate and the problems today Mm -hmm. and join them in trying to make things better Um, that's all we can do right and and really we have to be more loving we do we have to be more loving and it's trite but true Mm -hmm. count our blessings and that's what i've tried to do you have and you have so many blessings and i I, my family is blessed to know you and uh, i just adore you you know that, right? I you do. know what you feel. Well, it. it's reciprocal. It's reciprocal. You oh, I love that. it, love it, love it. Um, how can how can anyone find your books and get your books? Well, the thing is, I I'm going to share my age because I I've been told I don't look my age. You don't. So, and I haven't had any work done, people. What? And I and I thank and I thank I thank. The, the research food. that I've done for that. <laughs> the food. And the, ne- the next time I publish, I'm going to put a picture, not of the author, but of the author and her husband, who is 92 years old. And he looks in his 70s. Amazing. And uh, I'm 85. Yeah. So um, I've slowed down. And um, I'm trying to devote more time to taking care of my husband. He, he, he needs it. He needs it. And... How many more years are we going to have together? Sure. You know, sure. So um, I'm not trying to be in business in a big way with these books at mm-hmm. all. So I decided a long time ago I'm not going to put these on Amazon mm-hmm. and be bothered with all of that stuff. If people are interested in my books, they can write to me directly, mm-hmm. and I and I will give them the information of how they can they can get them and i'll i'll give you the address or can they write to you they can, versus yes. the podcast yes. that would be easier absolutely we will okay. link it for all sure all right and interestingly you know i had said that i that i um i wrote this for family and friends but right now hundreds of people have already <laughs> requested and gotten this book this is the memoir this is the memoir it's a pictorial odyssey reconnecting to my personal history 
as a Belgian child Holocaust survivor. And it, um, it covers the five trips we took and, and so on. It's amazing. And I'm just so intrigued with history and you've done such an amazing job. And I cannot thank you enough. You're here for your granddaughter's, my best friend's daughter's wedding. And you took time out of your family schedule to be with me. And I am honored. I tear up a little bit because I know you're very busy and um, I appreciate you. Thank so you, much. Tiffany. And it's been a pleasure to be with you yes. socially yes. as well as on your podcast, That's which right. is wonderful. Well, I you. heard the one you did with my daughter-in-law, and it was so terrific. So good. Yeah, Love with her. Meg. Love yeah. her. You know, if you yeah. we've talked about friendships on this podcast, and she's one in a million. I mean, we've been together for almost 30 years. You heard that, Meg? We're the same age, too. <laughs> Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today, watching us on YouTube and listening in on your platform of choice. And please follow along on Instagram, Tiffany C. Blackman. Hey, go and like, rate and review this podcast and let me know what you'd like to hear. And everyone, have a beautiful day. Do what you can. Be happy. Be kind. And you know what? Keep being fabulous. Fabulous.